Welcome to the Wellness Journey Podcast from St. John Vianney Center. I am Dr. Patricia Donahue, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to journey with you and to hopefully provide you with information that will help inform and inspire you. Our podcasts are aimed at keeping you healthy in mind, body, and spirit. This is podcast number 41. The title of today's talk is Understanding and Managing Anxiety. I think everyone would agree that we live in anxious times. While inner peace is always the goal to strive for, with so much continual unsettling news, seemingly to, on every level for us, global, national, local, within our communities, family, friends, it can be hard to reach that inner peace. This is further compounded by stressors that are inherent in ministry, living in community, striving to maintain vows. Understanding more about anxiety can give us a better perspective on what's happening when we are anxious and can help us to cope with the stresses and worries of the world. Let's start with the basics. Anxiety is nothing new. In fact, it's really, really old. Anxiety is a natural reaction to stressful situations, and it's been with us since the first humanoid had to outwit that woolly mammoth or saber-toothed tiger. Its purpose is survival, and it works well. It's the body's early warning system. Imagine that you're a gazelle on the Serengeti plain with your large herd of other gazelles, and you spot a lion. What do you do? You run, right? This is the system that allows that to happen. It involves identification of danger, a quick and immediate physical response to prepare the body to flee or to fight, and then relaxation when the danger is over and a quick return to baseline. Biological survival system is governed by neurochemicals and hormones that work to keep our body in a regular predictable balance. We call this homeostasis. Homeostasis is maintained by our autonomic nervous system, and it's comprised of two systems that work together. They balance each other, the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system. Some of you might remember this from biology. When our early warning system goes off, the sympathetic nervous system kicks in. Neurotransmitters and hormones like neuropinephrine Cortisol, epipenephrine, which we also call adrenaline, are released bloodstream. Their general function is to mobilize the brain and the body to either flee or fight. In the brain, they increase our arousal and alertness, promote vigilance, enhance the formation and the retrieval of memory, and focus our attention. They also increase our restlessness increase our heart rate and blood pressure, increase the glucose of the blood and increase our sweating. The reason for all this is that our body is preparing for a massive movement. Again, we're either gonna run or we're gonna fight. Our body redirects a lot of its resources from things that are less important at this time. For example, digestion slows way, way down, right? The reproductive system pretty much shuts down. This isn't a time to be eating, this isn't a time to be reproducing, this is a time to be fighting 
or, or running. Anxiety involves these more primitive parts of our brain. So our part, different parts of our brain, such as our amygdala are involved. The amygdala is part of our limbic system, which controls our fear response. So you can see why this would be important in this system. The amygdala deals with the processing of memory. Do I remember this situation and is it a real danger or not? It helps with decision-making. Should I fight or should I run? And emotional responses. I'm fearful, I'm, I'm aggressive, I'm anxious. The hippocampus is another part of our brain that's involved in this process. And it controls the consolidation of memories from short-term to long-term memory. Should I run again next time? And in spatial memory that enables navigation. This is how I escaped last time. I'm gonna remember it. These primitive brain areas are then balanced by the parasympathetic nervous system. This is responsible for the, the simulation of automated rest and digest, or what they call feed and breed activities that occur when our body is at rest. So we have the one system, the sympathetic nervous system that gets our body ready and activated, and that's balanced out by the parasympathetic system that returns us to um, a more restful state. We don't have to think about these hormones or what our body is doing. This whole system is unconscious. It happens unconsciously for us when we in some way identify a danger. However, this is not a very smart part of our brain. It's a basic alarm system. It's perhaps one that's too sensitive for our modern world. It only goes on or off. So for our gazelle on the Serengeti plain, after the gazelle has run with the herd, eventually the herd stops. And what happens? Everybody starts to graze again. Their bodies calm down and they go back to all the other parts of living that aren't involved in survival. But again, this system goes on where it goes off. So it's kind of like a car alarm. So when you're, you hear a car alarm going off or your car alarm, we don't actually know, was it somebody breaking into your car? Did a child hit a soccer ball into your car? Is it just a malfunction? We don't know because the alarm is either on or off. This system also acts very quickly. It's triggered on at the sight of a tiger, um, a verbal argument with another person, or a fast approaching deadline. But due to its evolution as a survival in the wild mechanism, the, the sympathetic nervous system tends to work quickly and be over-inclusive. It tends to pick up all sort of signal noise in our environment that may or may not be a threat. It's an evolutionary case of better safe than sorry. So no matter how modern we think we are, we're still filtering stress stimuli through a system that's millions of years old. And it leaves us modern people with a modern problem. Our overstimulating world triggers this sensitive alarm system that was never meant to be used all the time. And there are many well-documented health risks with being in a highly anxious state over the long-term. These include things like heart problems, increased risk of death, 
sleep disturbance, frayed neurons, decreased immunity, irritability, and disturbed relationships. Studies have shown again and again that continual stress impairs certain parts of your brain. It impairs your hippocampus where you make and retrieve memories. This is why when you're highly anxious, it's hard to absorb what's being presented to you. It's also hard to retrieve information that you need. And your frontal cortex, which is what you use for concentration, attention, and decision-making. So in hearing all this about stress, the natural conclusion might be the goal should be no anxiety. But no, interestingly, that's not true. It's really interesting to understand that being aroused or anxious is actually good for us. It's just good for us up to a point. Interestingly, a lot of the research done in this area is done in sports psychology. The idea is that we know that performance actually increases as stress increases. If we weren't activated or stressed, we would get very little done. But the reality is each of us has their own zone. And the zone is the balance between the, sp the stress we need to perform and be motivated, but before stress starts to cause our performance to decline. And everyone's is different. Your zone is different from someone else. And your zone can change depending on other things going on in your life. For example, other stressors, health issues, poor sleep. However, everyone has a point where anxiety starts to drastically decrease their performance and the system gets overwhelmed. Stress just becomes too high, we feel overwhelmed, and we can't even seem to accomplish simple tasks that we usually do. Our ability to concentrate, to learn new information, to create and retrieve memories, all rapidly decrease. And then when the worry becomes excessive or chronic, it becomes corrosive to our systems and our ability to function over the long term. So our first important message to take away today is that stress is good as long as we can try to keep it in our zone. And an important factor in managing your stress is learning your own zone and learning the, the signs for you that stress is mounting to where it's about to be the tipping point. Everyone reacts to stress differently. Some people sleep too much. Some can't go to sleep. Some people eat too much. Some people don't eat at all. Some people withdraw and isolate. Some people can't stand to be alone. Identifying for you, what are the signs that, that are occurring for you when stress is becoming too high is really important to know because that's your sign that you need to take some active steps to manage and reduce your stress. Next important factor, and maybe the most important factor, is how you think about your situation and your stress. Our modern world has few clear, acute daily dangers. In our daily life, there are not many things that happen that are an imminent danger or cause of death for us, right? But instead, danger is in vague situations that don't even have to, have to actually be occurring to us. And this brings us to the worry part of anxiety. 
While we know that a big piece of anxiety is physical, worry is primarily a cognitive process. Our thinking arises from the more developed part of our brain, the smarter part. This is our cortex. It involves memory, creativity, planning, and past learning. And the process of thinking is conscious. Much of our anxiety today is triggered by our thoughts. Sensations and feelings come up and we think about them. We project into the future. We imagine bad situations. For example, here are a few anxiety provoking thoughts. Do the parishioners or students like me? I'm trapped. I'm out of control. No one loves me. I'm sick and I'm going to die. No one appreciates all that I do. Many of these type of negative thoughts are automatic thoughts. We may not realize we're thinking them. We often tend to pay attention to the details of the situation and our feelings, I'm upset, or I'm angry, or I'm scared, but we don't pay attention to, the, to our thoughts about the situation. But we can learn to get better at identifying these negative thoughts, and we can make that part of the process more conscious. Once we start to become aware of these negative thoughts as they happen, we can have more control over what we do next. Also, when we feel anxious, we sometimes generate thoughts that trigger more and more fear. We kind of spiral downward. And this happens when we do two things. One is we magnify the danger. We view it as a far greater threat than it is. And then we overgeneralize the danger, thinking that its impact will be far greater than it will actually be. In psychology, we commonly call this catastrophizing. Most everyone does it. Some people are experts at it. Getting better at being able to step back and think realistically about events and the probability of bad events happening is very helpful. It's also good to try to note the situations in which you are more likely to be prone to extreme thinking. Do you know who uses this every day to manipulate us? The media, right? This is a common tactic by the media to keep you engaged and focused on them. They want your attention on them. So constantly they'll magnify the danger of something and overgeneralize the danger of something. A lot of people that realize that during the pandemic, when a lot of people had an opportunity to be consuming more media, that they were becoming very stressed by it. And to manage the stress and kind of stay in their zone, a lot of people started to limit their media exposure. That was a very smart strategy. Since we can become aware of our thoughts, we can direct our thoughts away from catastrophizing. We can generate thoughts that reduce fear and even develop behaviors, mental and physical, that allow us to move past our thoughts and fears. Fears, research suggested, and it was preached as gospel, that people who had high stress had poorer health. Then a few years ago, a unique study was done. It followed 30,000 people over eight years. 
And they were divided into three categories, low stress, high stress, and believed their stress was bad for them. And high stress and believed their stress was neutral or good for them. And what did they find? Those in the high stress group who believed stress was bad for them had by far the highest death rate. However, the study found that the high stress group who believed that stress was neutral or good for them had the lowest death rate. It was lower than the death rate than the low stress people. This was a really surprising study. It really suggested that how you're interpreting your stress makes a difference in how it affects you. So at Harvard, they did some studies to look at this. Particularly, they were looking at heart functioning and heart cells. And they found that the response of the heart muscle and the immune system is very different in people who interpret their stress in a positive manner as opposed to a negative manner. So people who, as their body became activated, thought, this is getting me ready to perform, or this is helping my body meet the challenge, or this is gonna make me do better at my presentation, or this is exciting. Even though they had the same physical reaction as the people who were fearful and scared, there was differences in the way their heart responded. Both people's hearts sped up, but in the group that had the positive interpretation, the cells in their, in their heart did not enlarge in the same way the group who was feeling fearful and scared did. So in that group, their body was getting ready for a, to fight or to run. In the other group, although their heart sped up, they weren't having that same reaction. Heart rate increased, but it was not getting ready for some sort of dramatic action. And it's interesting that this is the same kind of response that happens in our bodies when we experience joy or when we are experiencing courage. This process can be seen in people who love roller coasters. Some of you might like roller coasters. Some of you, like me, might not. People who love roller coasters love the idea of getting on it. They love strapping themselves in. They love the wild ride and they love getting off even though they're basically triggering in a very physical way, their stress response. Why? Because they interpret it as fun. Now, more interesting research came out recently, and this is looking at the social aspect of stress. And this gives us some other ideas on how to manage stress. Research has shown that in addition to the hormones released in the stress response, epinephrine, norepinephrine, and cortisol, oxytocin is also released. And this was an extremely interesting finding because oxytocin is a hormone involved in social bonding and reproduction. Oxytocin makes us wanna seek out physical contact with other people. Why would this be part of the stress response in our body? Well, it's likely that the oxytocin makes us wanna seek out physical contacts with others in a very natural survival way. So if we were together and we were going to try to fight off a woolly mammoth, we can't do that alone, right? Oxytocin helps us work together. It fine tunes our brain's social instincts. It increases our empathy. Studies have shown that people who are under chronic stress like there's been a lot of research done on parents with severely handicapped children. 
have found that there's a fraying of their neurons, the end of their neurons called telomeres due to their high level of constant stress. However, research has repeatedly shown that if these same people have regular strong social support, it inhibits that process from happening and their neurons remain strong. It's the social support that was the difference. So here's another takeaway. We need others and we need them even more when we're stressed. Our bodies were designed by God to reach out to others when stressed and to notice that they need something and for others to reach out to us when we're experiencing stress. Then the last area to cover, which is also really important is spiritual. Obviously anxiety impacts our relationship with God. Fear makes it hard to believe that God has a plan for us and that it is good. It makes it hard to believe that although we're suffering, we're not alone. Fear and peace are opposites. Do not fear appears in the Bible over 300 times. It's a constant message, right? Because God created this system to protect us and not to destroy us. So what are some of the big takeaways? First, the important message is stress is good as long as you keep it in your zone. Secondly, how you think about and interpret your stress makes all the difference. Third, we need others and we need them even more when we're stressed. And lastly, God wants us to live safely, but he wants us to live to the fullest. So you're sitting there thinking my stress is unhealthy and it's too high. What can you do? Well, to reduce maladaptive anxiety and worry, the most effective approach is to address it physically, cognitively, socially, and spiritually. So let's look at a few specific things you can do to help. So if we start physical, physical is extremely important in anxiety because it is a physical reaction. Number one, exercise and move daily. Yes, I know you hear this all the time. You hear this all the time because it is proven again and again that exercise and movement helps in every way. When I used to teach uh, introductory psychology at university, it was amazing that the intro to psychology book is divided into a bunch of chapters. Each one of them is a, a subspecialty of psychology. So there would be memory and there would be consciousness, abnormal psychology, social, social psychology, development. Almost every chapter in the final summary said how exercise is good for that. Exercise is good for your memory. It's good for your sleep. It's good for your learning. It's good for your development at any age. So getting outside, getting exercise is really important. I also add the outside because when we actually go outside, all of our senses get stimulated. We feel it, we see it, we smell it. Sometimes we can taste it. It's very stimulating and soothing. So it's good to try to get outside daily, even if it's just for 10 minutes. 10 minutes out in the rain or the cold or today in Pennsylvania, the heat, but getting outside, looking at nature is extremely helpful in reducing our stress. Sleep is super important. There's a lot of great resources to improve your sleep hygiene if you're not a great sleeper, but sleep is very important. 
And when we're sleep deprived, our stress system becomes hypervigilant and it's extremely easy for us to fly off the handle, get irritated, react to things that normally would not bother us. Eat healthy. This is another one. If you're eating healthy foods, your body is happier. It's important not to use food and drink to try to modulate your mood and your energy. So some people will use alcohol to try to relax. Some people use caffeine to try to jazz themselves up. And while a little bit of these things occasionally aren't bad, if we're using them daily to try to give ourselves enough energy to do something in our ministry or to wind down at the end of the day, that's a problem. And really then we're using the food or we're using the drink in a way to try to stop listening to the signals of our body that we need to make some changes. Another thing that's helpful is deep breathing. So deep breathing has been around for a long time. There's a lot of research on how helpful it is to breathe in deeply. There's a lot of research on how helpful it is to breathe in deeply and breathe out. But there's been a lot of recent research that says that an important piece of this that's, that probably is the most important piece has not been focused on. And that's how you breathe out. So there's been a lot of research recently on cyclic sighing, which is the idea that you would breathe in deeply and then breathe in some more. And then in a slow way, be really focused on the breathing out. So I'm gonna ask everyone to try to do this quickly here. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna breathe in deep. And when you breathe in well, we'll pause a second, try to breathe in a little more and then have a nice long exhale. All right, so let's try that. Breathe in. Pause and breathe a little more. And now focus on letting it out. Make sure you, your lungs are completely emptied. If you do this five to 10 times, it really counteracts the physical part of our body that's reacting. Studies have shown that if people do this for five minutes a day, that they actually report less stress throughout the whole day. So this is a good thing to try to pay attention to your breathing. And again, particularly to the emptying out of your lungs. And another physical thing to do when you're stressed is change your scenery. A chronic problem in ministry is that you get stuck in a place doing the same thing for a really long time. And a job that you thought was gonna be a certain amount of time is double the amount of time. And if you don't do it, nobody's doing it. So a good thing to build into those kind of situations is change your scenery. For five minutes every hour or 10 minutes every two hours, get up, go somewhere else. If you're in the classroom, go to somebody else's classroom. If you've been in a building, go walk outside. If you are at, sitting at your computer you know, in your office, get up and go to another room. Just changing our scenery allows our brain to disengage and re-engage in something that's very helpful. Of course, there's cognitive things we can do too. So cognitively, since we know how we think matters so much, question yourself, be skeptical, right? God did a great job in creating us all as skeptics. Use this on yourself. When you start to get fearful and panicked about something, 
step back and really say, is this really true? Is this really happening? Or is this me doing this again? Increase your tolerance of doubt and uncertainty. Many of us like to control things. It's a habit that we picked up from our youth, often because things weren't in our control. But we can't control much of what goes on around us. So being able to tolerate that, that there's going to be uncertainty, that we're not going to know things perfectly, helps a great deal in reducing stress. Make friends with your stress in your body. Understand that when some of these things are happening in your body, this is what's getting you ready to be really good at your ministry or to really relate and connect to your brother or your sister. Trust your judgment, not your feelings. When we start to get upset and scared, we're using that old part of our brain. Trust your judgment, trust being rational. We know that people that are excessively rational, kind of like Spock from Star Trek, have very little stress. Remember that your thoughts are just thoughts, they're not facts. So if you're having a bad day and you think that nobody likes you and you're bad at what you do, that is just some thoughts. That's not factual. Be flexible. The more you can roll with things, the less stress you have. And that involves building up the idea that you're pretty good at what you do, not always perfect, but you've done a lot of this. And when something comes your way, you're going to be able to respond, not perfectly, but good enough. Think realistically about the probability of bad events. This is a real common problem with flying. People get very nervous when flying. Lots of people are having a negative stress reaction when they fly. But realistically, flight is the safest way you could possibly travel. The most dangerous way is when you get into your car. Most of us do that every day, several times. Understanding the real probability of things is very helpful. Put things into context. Yes, things are happening now. Things always happen, though. Politicians lie. Governments fall. People get sick. These things happen. They're always stressful throughout all of time. We live in a stressful time. Maybe not the most stressful time. Who would know? You know why? It's all relative. But it's good to put it into context. And then avoid your own extreme thinking. We all do it. So the manner that you engage in extreme thinking, become aware of it and become proactive to stop it. So the other areas then to look at would be social. First of all, don't isolate. We actually realize now, whether you're an extrovert or an introvert, that when stress gets high, you are not meant to isolate. Why do people do it? Well, people usually do it because they've had bad experiences in the past. They were taught when they were young, if they were stressed, no one would be there. Or they were told, ta taught that if they were to reach out, that there'd be problems with that. But that's not what our nature is. So if you're someone who tends to want to isolate, start really learning community to overcome that. Teach others how to effectively help you. Many people love you. And many of the things that they do when you're stressed are not helpful at all. For example, you're going to give a big presentation. And when the people that love you say, oh, don't worry, you always do great. 
it's surprisingly not helpful. No. So what we want to do is find out when we, we are getting stressed, what is it that we want to hear? What are the things that make us feel better? And we have to teach the people that love us that that's what we need to hear. They want to help, but most people just don't know how because they're a different person and they have a different zone. Give and accept hugs. This seems kind of obvious, but we have the need for physical contact. And we, when we know we have physical contact, our oxytocin increases. Beware of contagious anxiety. Okay, we all know these people, but anxiety is contagious. Some people become very anxious. What they do is they listen to the news, let's say. Then they run into you in the hallway and they say, did you hear what's happening to the baby snails in India? And they tell you, and you're like, I didn't know that. And they walk away and they feel better. And how do you feel? Worse, because now you know there's a problem with the baby snails in India. So the reality is understand that anxiety is contagious. And so for the next one, when you start to become quite stressed, it's good to be choosy about who you're interacting with. When you're having a day that you have low stress or you're in your zone, this will bother you much less. But when you start to become overwhelmed, that's the time to just be choosy about who you're interacting with because some people will deplete you further. And then the last part is spiritual. Of course, pray. Particularly, it's good to pray meditatively. So if you're really trying to meditate while you pray, do contemplative prayer. It's a great way to train your mind to focus back because what happens is we all start to pray and then we think, oh, wait a minute, did I buy that at the store? Or gee, in two hours, I'm gonna have, all right. And contemplative prayer helps us refocus and to bring ourselves back. That's a great practice because that's what you can use when your negative automatic thoughts come on to shut the door. Of course, we can always pray for acceptance. That's huge. Pray for increased tolerance of what's going on. That's huge. Deepen the trust that God does have a good plan for us. It's also helpful to pray and share with others. It's really helpful to try to build peace together. It's the opposite of the contagious anxiety. And get out in God's creation. Of course, across the board, this is good. Get out in God's creation every day with a friend, even better. And of course, we hear it all the time now how important it is to be grateful. So we talked about learning your body's warning signs that stress is becoming too much and that you're going out of your zone, monitoring how you're thinking about situations and mastering your thoughts so that they're not creating more stress, investing in healthy, supportive relationships and not changing your relationship with God. And remember that the goal is not no stress, but increasing good stress and decreasing your stress when it becomes unhealthy. You've been listening to the Wellness Journey Podcast from the St. John Vianney Center. I hope today's topic, understanding and managing anxiety, proves useful to you. You can find all of our podcasts and additional resources for clergy and religious on our website at sjvcenter.org click on resources. We are companions on your journey to stay healthy in mind, body, and spirit. We are the St. John Vianney Center, and our mission is you.